question, motherhood is the most difficult job on the whole planet. And I don't think we recognize that nearly enough. And so we should, not just today, but every day, recognize our mothers and the difficult times that they have. And I also want to recognize that mother, Mother's Day can be a difficult day uh, for other reasons. Maybe you've lost a mom. Maybe right now, especially during this season, you're separated from your mom or you're separated from your kids. Maybe it's that you've wanted to be a mom for a long time or you're waiting to adopt a child and Mother's Day is just more difficult for you. I think we can all agree that no matter what season you're in right now, motherhood is a challenge. There's a, a weight that you bear as a mother that I will never fully understand. Your job never stops. Your responsibilities never stops. You, you never get time off. You're always on call. In fact, I asked my wife, what's the most difficult part of motherhood? And this is what she said. You constantly have people vying for your attention from all directions, and it feels like there's never enough of you to go around. And ironically, when I asked her that question, she was on the phone on hold with the doctors. She's juggling Liam, and she's trying to help Hope do 
her homework, and she's about to get our family's lunch ready for the day. That's a pretty typical day at the Young House. What's more, though, is that as a mother, much of what you do doesn't even get noticed. The, if you're not a mother, it seems like the laundry just kind of appears uh, magically to be clean again, and toys magically get put away on their own. Motherhood is by far the most underappreciated job in this world. Don't get me wrong. I, I know that motherhood has great joy that comes with it, but also with motherhood, because of the weight, because of the responsibility, it's easy to get pulled into being consumed with fear and with worry about your kids. In fact, I've heard it said that telling a mom not to worry about their child is like telling water not to get wet. And so as a mother, how do you deal with the pressure and this weight? Well, the good news is that God has not left us without answers. In fact, the Bible has great answers when it comes to worry. And so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look at verses 4 through 9. It's a very popular passage. If you're a mother, you may have even memorized part of this passage before. My goal today is that we would dig into it and discover some of the treasure that's in this passage to provide some hope, especially during this season. And so let me give you some context of what's going on in this passage. The Apostle Paul has written this letter to the church in Philippi, and it's a thank you letter because they've sent him a gift, and so He's encouraging them, and he's thanking them, and he's got good news. Epaphroditus, who brought him the gift, is doing better. He's recovered from an illness, and he's returning to Philippi. And Paul uses this opportunity, this letter, to encourage them and remind them of the gospel, to encourage unity within the church. He challenges them and warns them uh, about the false teaching that is around them right now. He shares with them about his experience in prison, which I love because Paul looks at prison as no big deal. He's like, ah, it's just another chance for me to share the gospel with some other people. And so Paul here is reminding them at the the, uh, beginning of chapter 4, first of all, he reminds or he encourages, there's a couple ladies that must be in some kind of conflict, and so he tries to encourage them to be unified. And then he says to the church, and he reminds them of the common future that they have that their names have been written in the book of life and that there's great joy that we have looking forward to the future. And so it's the joy of this future hope that brings us to the passage that we're in today. And in this passage, Paul gives a series of six commands. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down these six commands. The first three deal with our character, character traits that we often struggle with when our lives lack peace. This whole passage is about God wanting to provide us peace. And so these these character traits we struggle with, that's the first three commands. Deal with those. The second three commands give us very practical ways to achieve these character traits and ultimately achieve peace. And so let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father, we thank you so much that today we get to open up your word, and we get to learn about the grace that you have for us. We're we're reminded of the love that you have towards us and that you have given us and equipped us with many things to, to not just exist in a fallen world, but to thrive and to have peace no matter what the circumstances. So I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be joyful, to 
not be anxious, to be reasonable, to, to pray and to focus our thoughts and be disciplined in our minds and that we would emulate and imitate those who are godly around us. I, I pray that you would help us to understand your word and it would change us, that you would change our hearts and it would overflow and it would change how we act, how we behave, and that our lives would be lived fully for you, to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we pick up in verse 4, Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. In light of the glory and the beauty of the hope that we have, because our names are written in the book of life, Paul says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul starts this passage out by emphatically commanding the church to rejoice. In fact, he says it twice for emphasis. And remember, Paul is not talking to a church that's enjoying a season of prosperity and peace. This is a man writing from prison because he's been sharing the gospel to a church that's experiencing great persecution. Philippi was known for the Romans being very patriotic and prideful about being Roman. And so when these Christians come in and say, don't worship Caesar, but worship Christ, worship God, that was a problem and it caused a whole lot of problems for the Christians in Philippi. In fact, when Paul started the church in Philippi, he gets thrown and beaten, thrown into prison and beaten along with Silas. And so Paul knows firsthand what it's like to be a Christian in Philippi. And yet he still commands them, doesn't just suggest this, he commands them to rejoice in the midst of their pain and suffering. And at first glance, it seems like Paul is just kind of disconnected from reality. It's kind of like one of those memes maybe you've seen on social media where you've got this guy, uh, he's laying down, he's resting peacefully in his bedroom and all around him, the whole bedroom's on fire. But that's not what's happening here. Paul reveals his source of joy throughout this letter. He's not just saying some kind of thoughtless platitude to try to encourage the church. He has this joy himself while he's in prison. Back in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Every time we sing the song, All I Have is Christ, I think of Paul in that passage. Later on in this chapter 4, he tells that he's found the secret to contentment no matter what the circumstances are. Paul has come to realize and he's discovered the profound reality that if he makes Christ his greatest treasure, even if everything else is stripped away from him, he can still find joy no matter what the circumstances. And so we see in this letter over and over that Paul rejoices greatly. And he also rejoices greatly in the relationships that he has with other believers. You saw that 
uh, here in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown. In 16 out of the 104 verses in this book, Paul mentions joy. And so he expects the church to be a, a place and a people filled with joy in Christ. And so when we gather together, and I can't wait, a couple weeks from now, hopefully, God willing, we'll be back together and we're going to celebrate, but not just because we're together. We're going to be celebrating because Jesus Christ has redeemed us and we have eternity to look forward to where we'll, we'll be together with him for all of eternity. There'll be no social distancing and we'll be able to see Christ face to face. That's what we celebrate. And so he commands us to celebrate. He commands us to be joyful. And I know as a mother, that's your heart. Your heart is to have a home that is filled with joy. I know my wife agonizes on how to make our home a joyful place. And so if you're struggling, especially in this season, with finding joy in Christ, I would encourage you to study the book of Philippians and really dig down deep into the source of joy that Paul has, even in the midst of his suffering. And so the first command Paul gives the suffering church is to rejoice. The second command flows from that. He commands them to be reasonable. And in fact, he wants them to be so reasonable that other people notice. He says, let your reasonableness be known to all. So what does he mean by reasonableness? Well, your translation might even say gentleness. There, there's a sense here that Paul wants the church to be known for having a reasonable or a sensible or a gentle spirit rather than a harsh, angry, reactive, argumentative reputation. This doesn't mean that the church is weak, though. This, is, this means that the church is meek like Jesus. We are to be characterized by our kindness and our humility and our graciousness towards other people. This should be our reputation. Uh, now, as a father of six kids, it's easy for me to kind of slip into drill sergeant mode, especially when it comes to chores. And so last I checked, a drill sergeant is not known for their kindness, their humility, or their graciousness towards others. Uh, and I've recognized this, and I've been trying to work on a more gentle approach. And so a few weeks ago, I'm talking to Dave Kahn. And he's telling me about this leadership book that he's read. And one of the chapters in the leadership book is on how to challenge other people in a healthy, more gracious way by asking them questions. And in the book, it shares this illustration about how the author went home and he tried to practice this by, uh, it was the bedtime routine with his kids. And he decided, okay, I'm going to only ask questions. Every statement I make will be in the form of a question. And so instead of barking out orders to his kids of what to do to go to bed, he simply asked them a question. Okay, what do, you need, what do you need to do to get ready for bed? And then next, what do you need to do? And to his surprise, they knew what to do without him telling them what to do. And so I decided, okay, that's a cool idea. I want to try that. It's a more gentle approach. I'm going to try that with my kids and see, see how it goes. I'm going to try to ask, uh, rather than making statements the, and telling them what to do, I'm going to try to make every statement a question. And so the first time I tried this, I think it lasted like two minutes, I quickly realized that it's very difficult. You've got to think a whole lot more before you talk. And so a couple days later, I tried it again during dinner time, and I made it almost all the way through dinner before I lost my creativity and, and 
there's only so many ways you can ask questions, and eventually they figured out what I was doing. We had a good laugh over it. Uh, but I will say, that little experiment taught me a whole lot. First of all, it forced me to slow down and to think before I talked. And it forced me to be quick to listen because I'm asking so many questions. And of course, the more gentle approach that my kids responded a whole lot better when it came to getting ready to, to clean up dinner. Often, the reason that we lack gentleness, the reason that we lack joy in our lives is because we're consumed with worry. Which brings us to Paul's third command here. Look at verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And so if you're somebody who really worries a lot, Paul's advice to you is, stop it. Let's pray. No, of course, that's not. He says more than that. Thank goodness he says a whole lot more than that. But you need to dig a little bit deeper. Paul actually gives some amazing advice here. He's not demanding that you never worry in some legalistic way here. In fact, Jesus himself, he sweat blood because he was so concerned about the crucifixion coming towards him. Paul compassionately recognizes that the Philippians, they're in a situation where there's a lot to worry about. And Paul is saying, look, you don't need to be consumed with anxiety. He's saying, when you worry, turn it over to God. He's saying that even in difficult situations, it's possible to find peace. Not a fake, pretend, make-believe, fleeting kind of peace, but a deep, satisfying, beyond understanding, lasting peace. Peace that lets you lay down at night and truly rest. Peace that helps you respond to disobedient kids with grace and reason. Peace that like he says, guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus from being consumed with fear. It's a peace that propels you to be bold and courageous for Christ. And notice that this peace doesn't come from things of this world. It's God's peace. This is a peace rooted in the very character of God. And so it makes sense that the closer that you, are, you draw yourself to God, the more you're going to experience and enjoy this peace. And so, these first three commands, they, they paint a picture, really, of what we all want in our life, right? We all want to be filled with joy. We all want to be known for our reasonableness. We all want to be free of anxiety. Well, the last three commands help us to get there in a very practical way. Look back at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so the command number four that Paul gives here is that you need to pray right. Prayer should be like oxygen for the Christian. Paul says, in everything pray. Prayer is essential. We bring our big things to God. We bring our little things to God. And so Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer to constantly cry out to God to make his name hallowed. In other words, Lord, I need your name to be the most treasure thing, treasured thing in my heart and in my life so that even if everything else is taken away from me, the thing that makes my heart leap for joy is still there. So make your name hallowed. Then he teaches us to cry out to our heavenly Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so that in the midst of our trials, we need to remember that we need God's presence and we need to be reminded of his sovereign wisdom to always do what is right and good. And then Jesus teaches us to depend on God every single day. He says, give us this day our daily bread because tomorrow I'm going to have to come back and ask for more because there's not a day that goes by that I don't desperately need your grace. Here in this passage, Paul encourages us to pray with an attitude of gratitude, right? Thankfulness, knowing God always fulfills his promises. And we see here that prayer is the cure for our anxiety. It says, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So if you want a life that's filled with joy and gentleness, that's free of anxiety, it starts with praying right on your knees. Paul goes on, command number five is to ponder the right things. Verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so here Paul piles on the adjectives to encourage the church to be disciplined in their thought life. And Paul is consistently doing this throughout his letters. He wants the church to have minds that are disciplined. Colossians chapter 3, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And the word think in our passage here, it means to consider. It means to, to count on these things. There's a sense that these things should shape not just our thoughts, but also our actions. Donald Whitney, in his Spiritual Disciplines book, really helped me understand, opened up my eyes to understand what Christian meditation is. That there's a difference between Eastern meditation and Christian meditation. Eastern meditation, what you're doing is you're trying and you're attempting to empty your mind. Christian meditation is completely different. Christian meditation, you're trying to fill your mind with God's Word and to think about it deeply and over and over. And so Whitney very insightly says that the missing link between our Bible intake, like us reading and listening to the Bible, and our prayers is meditation. That between our Bible intake and our prayers, we need to meditate on God's Word. And so he encourages you to read the Bible, then meditate, and then, and then ponder deeply what you've read, and then that will often lead you into your prayers. And you'll end up praying through the Scriptures. A couple of weeks ago, I challenged you to, to have a, a specific time, a specific place, and a specific plan to spend time reading and praying, to fellowship with God. Let me add one more challenge to that. Spend time pondering God's Word between reading and praying. Maybe you pick a passage that really stood out to you while you were reading and you just read it over and over and over. And each time you read it, you emphasize a different word. Maybe you spend time memorizing that passage. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace. If you want a life that is filled with joy and gentleness and free of anxiety, you need to have a disciplined thought life. 
You need to ponder the right things. Whitney gives a really good analogy of what meditation, Christian meditation is like. It says meditation is like a cup of tea. Okay, in, a, in this analogy, your mind is the cup of hot water and the tea bag represents your intake of scripture. And so hearing God's word is like one dip in the tea bag into the cup. Some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, but not as much as if uh, as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag. And so reading, studying, memorizing God's word, they're like additional plunges of, tea ba- of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea enters into the water, the more permeating its effect. Meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it seep, steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly saturated with reddish brown. Meditation on Scripture, I love this. Meditation on Scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. And if you haven't listened to the weekly brew, I would encourage you to do that. Shameless plug. So Paul's final command then is to practice these things. What's he mean by that? What things is he talking about there? Verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And so Paul encourages them to model their lives after his example and his teaching. If you want a life filled with peace and with joy, with gentleness, with a, a freedom from anxiety, it's important that you imitate the right people. It's important that you find godly mentors who will point you to the gospel. And our world is filled with uh, people who have opinions on how you ought to live your life, people who call themselves an authority and demand that you pay attention to them, but unfortunately many of them do not point you to Christ or the gospel. And so let me encourage you, pick your mentors wisely. Look for people who are grounded and growing in God's word, people that are filled with God's spirit and loving God's people. And more importantly, become that kind of person that other people can emulate and imitate. And some may argue that Paul is kind of being arrogant here by saying, hey, imitate me. But I would argue that this is simply an overflow of Paul's relationship with Christ and the natural outworking of his calling as a minister and a missionary for Christ. See, much of our maturity, I know this is very true for me, uh, much of my growth as a Christian has come not through reading a book about Christianity, but observing those who live it out, who live out the gospel in their everyday life and imitating them. So moms, let me summarize it like this. Your job is insanely difficult. You have many things to worry about, but the good news is that God has given us a path to peace in the midst of the chaos of life. You desire a home that's filled with joy. You desire a a home and you desire to be known for your gentleness, your reasonableness. You desire to be free from anxiety. Those are are good things to desire. Those are what we're commanded to, to do and to be like. Well, God's given us prayer and meditation and godly examples to follow so that you might experience what Paul says at the end of verse 9. And the God of peace will be with you. Again, the closer you draw 
to God, the God of peace, the more peace you're going to experience. So let's, let's pray that God would help us to experience that peace. Bow your heads with me. Father, we desperately need your grace to free us from the anxieties of this life. And I, I pray and I plead with you during this season especially that you would, you would remind us of the gospel, that you would drive us to our knees.